Hello and welcome to the monthly Megabyte CEO Barometer. At Megabyte we track the financial performance, corporate activity and strategic positioning of over 6,000 of the UK's leading technology and digital businesses. Each month our research team analyses dozens of results and corporate transactions in the UK tech sector. As well as delivering extensive company financial and transaction data, our team leverages some 500 CEO relationships to bring our subscribers deep insight into the companies and technology peer groups we track. The aim of this show every month is to summarise the research and data on the Megabyte platform from the last month with a particular focus on the key themes around corporate activity and valuations. Of course, subscribers can get access to all of the underlying research and data on the Megabyte platform and if you think that the research that we provide at Megabyte may be of help to you and you're not yet a subscriber, we'd love to hear from you. The best thing to do is to go to uh, our website at megabyte.com and hit the request uh, trial button. And you can now set up an automatic trial of our news analysis service, the, the Megabyte Newswire, um, and also request a demo of the wider platform. So if that's of use to you, or you think it might be of use to you, we'd love to hear from you. As we enter 2023, this month's Megabyte CEO Barometer has a slightly different format from usual. I will of course review all of the key corporate activity trends from 2022 as a whole, but this month's show will focus on 12 key predictions about what's going to happen in 2023 and beyond, looking at tech demand trends and also at corporate activity trends. And I'm also going to have some uh, advice for tech CEOs to try and help them to navigate what I think is going to be really quite a challenging year this year, uh, but also what I think that will create great opportunities for those companies that are well prepared. So let's dive in. So let's start the show with a look this month at the uh, corporate activity and share price trends across the whole of 2022, uh, looking at um, share prices in the UK and the US, uh, overall deal volumes, having to think about what happened with M&A volumes, a really, really difficult year in the capital markets, uh, private equity transactions, and also obviously looking at um, VC, which was a very interesting market during 2022 as well. Looking first at share prices, you probably won't need me to tell you that it was a pretty dire month, sorry, dire year for tech sector share prices, although there was light at the end of the tunnel somewhat towards the end of the year. The overall uh, megabyte universe of about 150 UK quoted tech stocks uh, fell 33% uh, during 2022, and actually the average valuation fell in the same amount uh, to about 14 times, so a very substantial reduction in share prices and valuations through the year. Not a lot to say in terms of the difference between software and ICT services. Software share prices held up slightly better than ICT services, but both saw their valuations drop by about a third during the year. Software on average dropping to about 16 times, current year EV EBITDA, and um, ICT services dropping um, slightly more, about 35% to 10.5 times. Although ICT services valuations did drop uh, below 10 times um, in the autumn, they have now recovered to just over 10 times, which I think is psychologically quite an important uh, quite an important level. As I mentioned, uh, a key feature was the stabilisation in share prices and valuations during the fourth quarter, and we saw stable or slightly rising share prices over that period, which I think is encouraging for the current year. For context, um, in the UK market, the FTSE 250, which I, as I always say in my monthly show, I think is a good, uh, a good barometer of, of the UK economy. The FTSE 250 is quite UK focused, uh, the FTSE 100 much more internationally focused. The FTSE 250 was down 21% of the year. So as often happens in, uh, in markets, the tech sector um, underperforms a falling market and outperforms a rising market. And that certainly was the case during 2022. Interestingly, by comparison, the US tech sector, um, as, as measured by the tech-heavy NASDAQ, was also down almost exactly the same amount, 33% during, uh, during 2022. 
and average valuations fell to about 14 times there as well. So an interesting mirroring of what's going on um, in the UK, in the US. The higher value, high growth, mainly SaaS stocks represented by the BVP NASDAQ Cloud Index, um, as regular listeners to the show will, will know, because I regularly talk about it, has been real uh, a real kind of uh, a very difficult part of the market over the last 12 months and beyond. And that was down 47% uh, during uh, 2022. And EV, median EV, EV sales multiples halved from nine times to four and a half times. Uh, bear in mind that those EV sales multiples had peaked, the, the median had peaked at uh, 16 times uh, during 2021. So we've seen an almost 75% reduction in, uh, in uh, the more highly valued stock uh, valuations over the last 18 months. Turning back to the UK, thinking about deal volumes overall, uh, it was there was a 24% reduction in deal volumes in total to 1,282 registered on the Megabyte database during 2022. Uh, that was after a bumper year of nearly 1,700 deals in 2021. And interestingly, deal volumes difference across different categories, which I'll talk about in a minute. But um, overall, deal volumes have returned broadly to where they were pre-COVID, which I think is interesting. M&A activity was relatively strong. Uh, it was down 16% in the year, but obviously better than the overall. And it was actually up 25% on 2019 levels, which I think is interesting. And I think, as I talk about regularly on the show, you know, the, the, the increasing use of M&A in the private equity playbook, I think, is the single, most, single biggest driver of that relative outperformance in M&A and its increase, significant increase since 2019. And interestingly, looking at 2022, ICT services M&A deal volumes were particularly resilient, which I think represents um, um, a catching up, if you like, of ICT services companies using M&A in the PE playbook, whereas software, I think, has been at it for a bit longer in broad terms. You again don't need me to tell you that it was a pretty revolting year for capital markets. Um, I mean, I think I would describe it as the worst uh, worst year in a generation for the capital markets, both in terms of share prices. Well, maybe not because post.com share prices fell more. But in terms of sentiment and deal activity, it really was tumbleweed for the capital markets last year. Deal volumes halved to 28 transactions in 2022 uh, against 2021, but that doesn't really tell you the whole picture. We registered only one small IPO at the end, right at the end of the year. And perhaps I think the most telling number for capital markets is that we registered just 500 million raised uh, on the capital markets uh, in 2022. That was just 10% of what was raised in 2021 and two thirds lower than it was pre-COVID. So it really was a, a terrible year and you only need to look at the results from the quoted brokers to understand all of their revenues are down between 30 and 50% uh, during the last 12 months. Uh, and uh, that gives you every indication of what's been going on. I'll talk more about, I think it's gonna be a better year this year and I'll talk more about that later on. PE transactions is an interesting one because they were down 31% uh, for the year as a whole and almost exactly broadly flat uh, to where they were in, um, in pre-COVID in 2019 at 84 transactions in the year. That sounds like a pretty poor performance, but what I think was particularly interesting about PE was, conversely to VC, which I'll talk about in a sec, was that PE transactions were pretty steady through the year. And I think that bodes quite well for this year. Again, I think we're gonna see some weakness this year, which I'll talk about in a bit. So actually, a pretty resilient year, I think, for private equity overall, and sentiment underneath those numbers uh, definitely feels quite resilient or felt quite resilient. Last but not least, to talk about venture capital, completely the opposite picture really with venture capital. We saw um, deal volumes and values were both down around a third. So broadly in line with overall transactions, uh, with just under 500 transactions in the year and total raised at about 10.5 billion. 
And as I mentioned, that was about a third down on, on a really sort of bubblicious 2021. Um, and all, but it also marked quite a significant increase from pre-COVID levels where we saw re- uh, money raised um, uh, at about the five to six billion uh, level. However, the difference between PE and VC has been a decline, rapid decline, particularly in the first uh, couple of quarters of the year, very strong in the first quarter, and then fell back strongly, uh, very harshly from then on in. And actually, we are seeing now a run rate of uh, funds raised and deal activity at about that 2019, about that five to six, kind of half a billion raised per month, uh, which is roughly half where it was uh, this time last year. So that is a quick uh, look at what's been going on in corporate activity in, uh, in during 2022 as a whole. As I mentioned in the introduction, I'm now going to move on to talk more about forward-looking stuff and think about 12 key predictions uh, for 2023 looking at uh, tech demand trends and also corporate activity. Looking first within my 12 predictions, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I think is happening in de- tech demand trends. And first, thinking about enterprise tech demand overall, and I think fundamentally it's going to get worse before it gets better. I think that we have seen some weakening um, of of expectations of growth for 2023 over the last few months. And I think given the macroeconomic environment, it feels inevitable to me that that will get somewhat worse and growth expectations for the current year will, will continue to fall for the time being. Putting some numbers around that, I think that uh, we saw uh, organic growth, average organic growth across the megabyte universe of around 1,300 uh, UK listed, not UK listed, sorry, UK headquartered software and ICT services companies that we track at megabyte. The average growth there reached double digits over the last 12 months, obviously looking backwards over the previous 12 months. So that's very much a rear view mirror. Um, That was roughly double the trend rate previous to that, which is typically uh, mid-single digits. And gut feel is that we're going to return to that kind of mid-single digits level over the next 12 months. So I'm not expecting some major reversal into into negative growth um, on average for the industry. That didn't happen in uh, in post-global financial crisis. And I I don't think it's going to happen now. And I think that we'll just return to more of a trend rate. um, And obviously, there will be variations across the industry. Um, I just think that the structural demand trends, which I'll go on to talk about in a minute, are so strong that I think that overall uh, uh, growth will continue to be robust, um, but just not as robust as it's been for the last 12 months. Thinking number, uh, in my second prediction, thinking about tech spend uh, in the short term, um, I think that it is already happening. I think will happen more that the focus of technology, enterprise technology spending, will be much more on projects that deliver a short-term 12 to 24-month return than perhaps some of the longer-term bets that people have been making in the last couple of years around uh, long-term transformation. I think those are the kind of projects that may get cut uh, to get to that lower growth rate. Um, but I do think that will be uh, counteracted by an increase probably in spending on uh, what I might broadly describe as uh, uh, spending that drives operational excellence, particularly around automation, some of the chapter two things I'll talk about in a minute. Um, and I think that um, uh, you know those long-term bets might suffer somewhat uh, in, 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 as a result of that. So you know, again, sort of spoiler alert, a little bit about my um, advice for CEOs, thinking about your service lines and your products that really focus on that short-term return will yield a, a better result from sales over the next 12 months than I think uh, those that are uh, delivering long-term, uh, perhaps long-term, perhaps less certain benefits. 
more broadly, I think um, sustainable growth will come back into fashion. So I think that we obviously saw during 2021, particularly in the VC world, uh, very much a growth at all cost mentality, particularly uh, at um, some of those businesses that were more consumer facing. We've already seen a significant rowing back of that over the last 12 months. And I think that will continue into 2023. And I think management teams will focus on delivering profitable growth. That doesn't mean business, all businesses will become profitable, but looking at that unit economics, particularly in the VC world, to understand that there is profitability, underlying profitability in the business rather than, as I said, that growth at all costs. And I think that investors will, will follow suit with that. And I think there will be, there will be uh, capital available, continue to be capital available across all of the categories we look at for businesses that deliver that um, profitable growth, underlying profitable growth with the, with the right business model. But the blue sky bets that uh, we saw funded during 2021 have already largely, um, uh, funding for those has already largely fallen away and I expect that trend to continue and potentially accelerate. Number four, thinking about ESG. Um, and I, I think that uh, we're going to see a, something of a coming of age of ESG, particularly in mid-market tech providers, which are really the core of the megabyte coverage. I think that um, perhaps being a little bit cynical, I think ESG has been a little bit of a uh, box ticking exercise over the last few years. But I think increasingly, particularly around diversity, diversity and inclusion, I think that mid-market tech companies are increasingly seeing a really genuine uh, uh, adoption of, of diversity inclusion as a way of uh, one way of solving or partially solving the, the skills shortage. And by the way, I do think, despite uh, some of the negative sentiment around demand, I think we're going to see during this year, I think that um, there will continue to be uh, skills gaps and skill skill shortages. There always is in this industry, doesn't matter what the economic demand is uh, for particular areas of, of uh, te particular technology areas. And I think that the companies we talk to are starting to see, or have many of them have seen for a while, and others are starting to see, diversity and inclusion and looking at a more diverse uh, talent pool and also coming with that um, academies and tra internal training, all of the things that help with that uh, recruitment and and, uh, and retention and also delivering, uh, obviously delivering outcomes for customers. I think we'll see that, that broad adoption through 2023 and beyond. Thinking a bit more broadly now, a bit longer term about where we are in the cycle. And I think that, um, you know, recession drives change. We know that we are reaching or have already reached, I think, a level of maturity in uh, SaaS and cloud, which, you know, this is a trend that started, really got started in the UK anyway, accelerating post-global financial crisis. And we're reaching a level of maturity in that area now. And we've said for a couple of years at Megabyte that Chapter 2 technologies, this uh, around AI, machine learning, uh, uh, data centricity, automation, connecting digital value chains, genuinely tech-enabled service models, often driven by uh, by the automation I talked about, but also low-code, no-code. I think these are going to start becoming mainstream in 2023. And I think that SaaS and cloud are table stakes. They have really been already for a couple of years, but I think that will become the accepted norm. SaaS is no longer something that makes you special. Cloud is no longer something that makes you special. It is merely a, it is merely a, uh, a, a gives you the ability to adopt chapter two technologies, which I've talked about a lot in my writing in the shows over the last 12 months. And that really uh, leads me on to my last uh, prediction within this section, which is really that those businesses that, ha that are aggressively investing in that part, in, the, in those technologies, whether they're Chapter 2 natives or whether they're SaaS and cloud uh, businesses that are actively thinking about how they move their products on to take account of those Chapter 2 technologies, those companies will thrive in the medium to long term. And I think that conversely, 
companies that have underinvested in SaaS and cloud that have not yet made properly made that transition over the last few years, I don't think they're going to be able to get into chapter two. And I think they will fall by the wayside in growth terms. I'm not saying they're going to go under. In fact, I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I'm, those businesses will continue, particularly, particularly those that have got recurring revenues, will continue to continue to to, 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 I'm sure, do well and make profits. But I think the growth will really be around chapter two over the next few years. And we saw that post-global financial crisis. Everyone woke up in the mid-teens and went, oh my God, I haven't invested in my SaaS product. I better catch up. I think we're in that mode at the moment. I think when we get to the middle of this decade, those companies that have not invested in chapter two technologies will, will be playing a heavy amount of catch up. So Again, spoiler alert on my advice, I think CEOs really need to think about that now, otherwise they're going to find themselves, uh, find themselves um, um, playing catch-up in a couple of years' time. So that's my predictions on tech demand trends. Um, I'll talk next about what I think is going to be happening around cap uh, corporate activity. So thinking then about my the second half of my uh, 12 predictions for 2023, looking at corporate activity and valuations. Overall, I think we're going to see um, a lower level of corporate activity in the tech sector in 2023 than 2022, but I don't think we'll see the sort of sharp reduction that we saw in uh, in, in 2022 based on, uh, you know, comparisons with a very, very uh, frothy year in 2021. Looking at the individual areas, then I think my seventh prediction, thinking about private equity, I think this is going to be uh, one of the weaker areas in 2023. I think that we saw, and I mentioned this quite a few times over the last few months, we saw Actually, really quite a surprising resilience, I think, in the PE, uh, PE world over the last six months. And we've started to see it now a dip in, uh, in deal uh, volumes. And I think we're going to see lower volumes this year than we saw uh, we saw last year in private equity, um, particularly at the upper end, because I think that, and I'll talk about this as my eighth prediction, but I think, obviously, you probably don't need me to tell you this, that the debt markets have become significantly more restricted over the last few months as interest rates have risen. And even if you can get debt for a large leverage deal, and um, the, the multiples of uh, leverage available are obviously going to be significantly lower than they were 12 months ago when interest rates were basically nil. So I think um, the lower end, I think, will continue to see reasonably robust deal activity. But I think uh, the larger end of the market where we've seen swapping of assets between PE firms, I think we'll see less of that during 2023. Um, and actually, interestingly, I think we might see the capital markets open up again as a, an exit route for private equity as a result of that. And I'll, I'll talk about that in, in, a, in a minute. I think the consequence of lower transaction volumes um, could be lower valuations. And I think, again, I'll talk about corporate capital markets in a minute, but I think we'll probably see some um, some reconvergence, if that is a word, of uh, private equity valuations and capital markets active, uh, valuations, which have obviously diverged significantly during 2022 with a very strong, uh, relatively strong uh, demand in PE and limited, very low demand within the capital markets. So on uh, my eighth prediction, talk about debt markets. Um, again, probably not my most uh, revelatory uh, prediction, but I think that debt markets will continue to become more restricted during this year. And I think that that is going to have a knock-on effect onto all manner of, uh, of corporate activity. You know, we've already heard some of the M&A programs that are, are um, in Europe that are uh, dependent on large amounts of debt, so high leverage uh, in large, large scale are being sufficiently, significantly cut back because of those debt markets. I think it'll be much less of a feature at the lower end because those businesses are typically have lower leverage multiples anyway. Um, and I think that we'll continue to see quite a lot of the M&A activity that we've seen um, uh, continue at the lower end because uh, the leverage multiples are just not as great. Which leads me on to my ninth prediction, which is really talking about M&A volumes more generally. 
And I think they're going to be relatively robust this year in volume terms. I think we, we talk to a number of indeed help uh, with commercial diligence and M&A discovery work, a number of the uh, serial acquirers in the UK tech sector. And we're not currently seeing really any caution of those businesses doing ICT services and software roll-ups. A little bit maybe, and I do think we'll see some valuations coming back in that, have already seen valuations coming back. Um, and I think we'll see that across the board, perhaps with the exception of capital markets. Um, but I think volumes will remain relatively robust in M&A because there is as I mentioned earlier in the show, the demand, the, the kind of driver for that is, is typically lower and mid-market private equity-backed businesses acquiring, and I think that is going to be a relatively resilient part of the PE market. Venture capital, as I talked about earlier, going on to my 10th prediction, I think um, VC investment will be stable this year. The stable at rates that we've seen over the last couple of quarters, not stable year on year, as I talked about earlier. There was a declining trend during 2022. And I think we'll see, you know, we are already continuing to see robust um, robust uh, investment uh, kind of investment dynamics for um, particularly SaaS businesses that are continuing to show strong growth. And I think the dynamics, um, um, uh, you know, notwithstanding what I talked about earlier about demand trends, those companies, so primarily software we're talking about here within VC market, those software businesses that, um, that are aligned to those trends around chapter two and uh, providing short-term return and uh, short-term return on investment around uh, investment in that software will continue to do well and will continue to find um, you know strong investment environment form from a VC perspective and I think overall we'll see broadly flat investment in VC this year um, at around five six billion which is where it was in 2019 maybe down slightly I think interestingly the bright spot is quite a challenging uh, quite a quite a punchy pr- prediction I think the bright spot particularly in the second half of the year thinking about my 11th and my 12th prediction in a way 11th talk about share prices and 12th talk about the IPO market I think um, it will be a pretty decent year for tech share prices I think we've seen uh, a large uh, we've seen obviously as I said at the top of the show you know nearly a third off UK and US listed tech stocks over the last 12 months settling down over the last uh, quarter and I think we'll see oh, for the year as a whole quite a positive sentiment in the capital markets for uh, for technology te- technology stocks on both uh, sides of the Atlantic and I think that will narrow the gap as I said earlier with in terms of valuations with PE. Probably the key thing from that, I do think the IPO market will return slowly during this year in the UK. I'm not suggesting any radical change to the long-term de-equitization uh, trend because I think there are much deeper drivers within that, which I won't go into now. Um, but I do think that uh, the slightly more restricted private equity market, the slightly more restricted potentially larger M&A market will naturally mean that more companies will refocus on and, and I think a, a return of some uh, valuation, uh, an improvement in valuations in the capital markets will inevitably, well, inevitably, I think is likely to lead to a return in the IPO market. And I think one particularly interesting possibility is that some of the large PE-backed, particularly software companies, I'm talking about companies like Civica and Iris that we know are going to be looking for exits during this current year, uh, where the leverage market is, at that end of the market, is much more restricted than it was, as I said earlier. I do slightly wonder whether they might look again at the IPO, uh, they might look at the capital markets, particularly something like Civica, which is you know, a very, very solid business, but one that you know, perhaps has gone as far as it's going to go from a private equity perspective. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe I'm wrong. But actually, I think might if it paid a decent uh, yield or whatever, uh, dividend yield might be quite well accepted back onto the market, which, as you remember, I think it was taken private, God, 15 years ago, I think, something like that. Anyway, that's that's the least, I have the least confidence in that particular prediction. Overall, though, I do think that the IPO market will return, particularly in the second half of the year. And I think it's possible that some of these larger PE-backed businesses might think about 
uh, the capital markets as a, an exit route, which they really haven't done for, for a long time. So that's my 12 predictions for, uh, for 2023 and beyond. Um, I'll close the show uh, with some, um, some, some pieces of advice. I've touched on them already. Some pieces of advice primarily for CEOs, but also for some of those investors out there um, that are thinking about how they might tackle some of these trends in 2023 and beyond. Thinking then about how tech CEOs might uh, look at the coming trends over the next 12 or 24 months and how they might uh, uh, um, focus their businesses, focus their product and their operations to, to, to optimize the business over what I think is going to be quite a challenging 12 months. And I think as a, as a high level observation, just to really summarize some of the things I've said already, it feels very much to me, it has already felt like this for the last couple of years, but it really feels now coming into sharp focus that we are at this this intersection between the chapter one of the cloud era where SaaS and cloud really became, uh, sort of came of age, and a mass adoption phase of what we describe as chapter two technologies around AI, automation, all the things I've talked about. And I think that the, 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 the key for the next couple of years is going to be balancing what I think is going to be a much tougher or somewhat tougher demand environment with making sure that investment in that longer term product and service offering uh, is, is, is undertaken to make sure that companies, whether they're software or ICT services companies, don't fall behind in that medium term shift to chapter two. So think about that in practical terms and what that means. I've got five kind of things I want to talk about. Firstly, be chapter two ready. So just taking that, you know, taking that first, first thing straight away, and making sure that your longer term strategy uh, is chapter two ready. That doesn't mean doing all the things I talked about straight away, but understanding how over the next three to five years your business is going to get, uh, is going to, uh, is going to make that transition if it needs to, or if it's a chapter two native, how it's going to iterate those products to make sure that you don't have to play catch up as we go, uh, as we go into the latter parts of the decade. Flipping back to the more uh, recession uh, aspects of things, whilst uh, focusing that on that chapter two uh, strategy, right-sizing your cost base is something that I think that uh, tech, tech companies shouldn't be afraid of. It's going to be very challenging for a lot of businesses. Um, they have been, some of them have been only operating, if you were founded within the last 15 years, you've probably only operated in a strong demand environment. And culturally, it's going to be very difficult for a lot of these businesses. But if the big guys like Facebook and Google can, can do it and need to do it, then I think it's important that, uh, that early on, um, if you need to do that with your business and you need to right-size your cost base for a lower growth environment, that you don't hesitate to do that because it will enable you to make those chapter two investments that you may not do if you're if you're just trying to hang on with uh, the cost base that you've got. Again, uh, advice for any business in any recessionary environment, cash is king and, and uh, it's it's interesting that um, it, it, particularly if you're a business with lower recurring revenue, uh, that uh, you know demand. I do believe demand patterns are changing or will continue to change, as I said earlier. And I believe that you should be stress testing your balance sheet much more often than you might have done 12 months ago to make sure that you've got uh, sufficient cash runway for the next 12 months. Um, you know, and, and particularly that you know your leverage is is if you are levered, that your leverage is appropriate to the growth environment. Um, and uh, you know that I think we're going to go into or we are in already. Be ruthless is number four, and I don't mean that in terms of your internal cost base, or there is an element of that with, with that being being truthful and ruthless with yourself. What I mean here really is thinking about your competitive environment, and really uh, some of your competitors will not do the things that they should do over the next couple of years, and I think that will weaken them. It may weaken them in the short term. It may it may obviously weaken them in the short term if they have excess leverage or a cost base that they can't uh, right size. 
Um, but probably more importantly, or as importantly, uh, those people that do not make the chapter two investments, I think will, as I mentioned earlier, will not be in a strong position as we come out of the recession in maybe 24 and into 25. Um, if you're making those investments uh, and you feel confident in those investments, look around at your competitors, make sure that you understand where they're at and make sure that you're focusing on those or focus your efforts on those areas of the market where you think, you think your competitors may be making, not making the right decisions at this pivotal part of the market. And lastly, my fifth, uh, my fifth uh, uh, suggestion for CEOs and also for investors is to be cautious on M&A. Um, one always should be cautious on M&A, obviously, but I think at this point, particularly around, obviously, you, you know, we're, we're, we're arguably at a, a point of change in terms of demand environment, as I've talked about. So obviously, you know, financial DD needs to reflect that and understanding what uh, that that uh, forecasts, and we've been involved in some DD processes where forecasts have had to come right back over the last few weeks and months. I'm thinking more about this technical debt in chapter two again, talking about that. Buying businesses now that are not fit for chapter two, either because they're not, they're a chapter one business that isn't making the investments, that's not the end of the world, but more so, as I said earlier, businesses that haven't really made the SaaS transition, um, that might have been, you might have been able to buy those three or four years ago and make the, help them make that transition. I just think you shouldn't be buying those businesses now. I think that's going to create, it's only going to increase your technical debt. And I think they might be cheap as chips, but it's only going to increase your technical debt, and I think you could conversely use M&A if you have a chapter two agenda. Going back to my first point about being chapter two ready, if there are gaps in your chapter two strategy that you think you need to fill more quickly than you can do organically, that is the right way to use M&A, I think, over the next couple of years, not buying chapter one businesses or even uh, on-prem businesses that I think will uh, just uh, slow you down at a point where you need agility and speed more than ever. So that's my, uh, that's my conclusion, my five tips for tech CEOs and their investors uh, looking forward to 2023 and beyond. I hope you've enjoyed this um, unusual uh, uh, version of the CEO, Megabyte CEO barometer as we look forward to the current year. I will return in February with uh, back to the old format, looking at what's been happening in corporate activity in, uh, in, in uh, January. And I hope very much that you will tune in then. But for now, thank you very much. Stay safe.